Well, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Solomon Abaki. Tell your neighbor his name is Solomon Abaki. <laughs> and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that we're here. Uh, I know most of us may have traveled. Some of us will be, have been around for Thanksgiving. But it's so wonderful to see us that we made to the house of the Lord. And I like the first song. They, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. We will not be silent. We will not be quiet. We can shout his praise. He's a wonderful God. He's a glorious father. Well, the title of my preach today is, Why Should I Give Cheerfully or oh, Jovially? Sometimes have you ever asked yourself a question? Why am I giving? Am I giving so that things may happen in the church? Am I giving so that I can be seen that I am a giver? Am I giving because I want more? Because you say, as you give, more comes back to you. So I'm challenging us this morning in this question. And there should be a reason why God has called us to be givers in his house. Well, it is true that we make a living, you and I, by what we get or what we earn from our, the salary that we get at the end of the month. Whether it is self-employed or you're employed by someone else. But it is equally true that you make a life by what you give. And I want to focus on the, the latter part of it, making a life by what I give. So when I'm making a life out of what I give, it means it's not self-centered, but it's for the well-being of the other person. One thing I believe that God has called us as his faithful steward of the manifold grace that is given unto us, when God blesses us resourcefully, it's not for us to hold it but for us to be channels that can unleash blessings to the other people. And that's why Paul says here, what we've just read, that God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't love someone who gives and they feel like it's a lot of pain. It's hard. No, he loves us when we are very cheerful in our giving. The word cheerful comes from the word hilaros. Tell your neighbor, hilaros. So, at least you've learned a Greek word here. If you didn't know Greek, you've learned the word hilaros. And the word hilaros simply means hilarious. God loves someone who is very, very hilarious in their giving. I know some, some of the times we take this word hilarious to be funny. You know, the word funny. But the other part of hilarious, the meaning is jovial, full of joy. So as I'm giving to the Lord, I'm full of joy. I'm looking forward joyously to give Unto God. Because whatever I have is not of mine. He's given unto me. And so I'm giving back saying appreciation of what he has given to me. So according to Paul, giving should not be a pain. It should be a party. It should be a party. I'm looking forward, man. I'm just, how, I mean, how can I just be, you know, I can respond to this invitation. It should not be heavy, but it should be happy. I was wondering, why, why don't we just tell people, have a Thanksgiving day? Why, why should we tell them, happy Thanksgiving day? We could have just told them, have a thankful day, but it says, happy Thanksgiving day. It's a place of happiness. It's a place of joy. And God is calling us into that place of the fullness of joy in our giving unto him. Why will giving produce Gladness, happiness, and joy when everything in our flesh says it should just produce the opposite. 
And I want to share with us why that giving should produce joy in us today, this season, this year. Even as we're looking forward for Christmas that is just around the corner. This will prepare us to know that as we are giving, it should be coming out of joyful heart. So number one reason is because of God's promise to us that he will reward, that he will rebuke, and that he will revive. That should make me be celebrating, you know. If I know that God rewards me and God rebukes the enemy on my behalf, and then God revives me through my giving. I'm looking forward to this kind of giving. Because those three things happen in my life. Not only am I rewarded financially or resourced by God, but also God rebukes the enemy on my behalf. I don't have to take that position. He takes it. And then thirdly, he revives me spiritually. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He says, now remember this. Tell your neighbor, now remember this. We're being reminded. And Peter says, you remind them even though they know it. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows generously, that blessing may come to others. It means as I'm sowing, I'm becoming a blessing unto others generously. And he says, we'll also generously be blessed. Have you ever realized when you minister to someone, either in words or you invite them in your house, you make food for them, either breakfast or lunch or dinner you have together. After that, you're refreshed. That's what I'm saying. You get blessed. You also partake. The person who gives also partake of the blessing at the same time. A perfect example is in Luke chapter 5, verse 3 to 6. There were a multitude of people gathering at the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus didn't have a place lifted up to be able to preach to them. And so as he was observing around, he saw there were two boats. And one of them was, the one boat was belonging to Simon Peter. And so he asked for that boat. And then Simon Peter was able to give him. And then he used that boat to preach unto them. But after Jesus had preached using Simon's boat, he said to Peter, Hi, Simon. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Peter answered him, Master, we have toiled all night long and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And what happened? Indeed, Peter took in a massive haul of fish. In other words, because Peter gave Jesus his boat, Jesus not only returned it full of fish, but Peter's life was also transformed. Don't you see? Peter handed over his boat. Jesus used it to preach to the multitude. And the result of it was financially he was blessed because he was a fisherman. He had to ask others to assist him. Because there was a lot of fish. And then at the end, when you read that uh, portion of scripture, it says, Peter turned to Jesus and said, Master, I am a sinful man. He recognized that he's a sinner. And this was a savior. And then at the end, now Jesus tells him this. You will not only catch fish, but you'll be a fisher of men. His assignment 
became clearer. So when I'm saying this, that God's purpose for my giving is because of his promise that he will reward. We see Peter. Peter's life was rewarded. He will rebuke the devourer. This guy had toiled all night long, catching nothing. But the moment he handed over his boat to Jesus, what happened? He caught a lot. The Lord rebuked the enemy of him not able to catch fish. Financial stability took place. And then later on we see his spiritual life was clarified. God brought a clear vision on his side. So that's the reason that can compel me because of his promise. Proverbs chapter 19 verses 17 says this. He who is gracious and lends a hand to the poor lends to the Lord. And the Lord will repay him for his good deed. Amen. Peter lent his boat so that the poor in spirit can be able to listen to the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened? The Lord repaid him for his good deed. What am I saying? God is not a debtor of any man. When I was growing up, I thought like, well, I'm a good giver and so God should come through for me because I give well. But as I am continuing growing, I realize, man, I'm not indebted to God. He's the one who owes everything. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 to 9 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? So if you're joining us here for the first time and you're not a Christian, that's why we read these scriptures, just to let you know. Sometimes it's good to open the scriptures and the entrance of God's word brings forth light. It brings forth understanding. Like, no, I'm not a robber. The robbers will be the ones who are outside, stealing other people's stuff. But the Bible says here, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And it says, you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. What is a tithe? The word simply means a tenth. As people who attended earlier on, as Du was speaking about this message of stewardship. And it can be 10% of anything we earn. Be it a dollar a day or a million dollars a day. Millionaires. <laughs> I can see Eliana smiling. It can be a million dollars a day. Some people earn that. But a tithe of that. And the Bible says it belongs to God. And according to Malachi, we see a failure to release this tithe to him constitutes to robbery. Because of this failure, Malachi told the Jews they were cast. Not cast in the sense that God is in heaven. A stirring cauldron with a broomstick. Pronouncing curse upon them. But... Because they limited what God could do for them. Don't you see? I mean, it's a great invitation. God is inviting us, yet we are limiting his hands. He says, I want to partner with you, Solomon. Help me partner with you. And so I've resourced you, but at the same time, I want you to partner with me. Don't limit me in moving in your life. If Peter here would have said, no, 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 don't borrow my boat. I want to still go and fish. I haven't caught anything yet. But the moment he released his boat, we see what happened. 
And that's what God wants to do in our lives. Malachi 3:10 to 11 says, "Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this," says the Lord of hosts, "if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it." Don't you see? Peter and his boat. There wasn't a room enough. He had to call others to help him. There were lots of fish. The Bible says there were like 153 fish that they caught. The nets were breaking and so he needed help. This is what it says. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Says the Lord. If you want any prophecy... It is right there and then. Where we are partnering with God and he does the rest on our behalf. Over and over through scripture, we are warned about the folly and presumption of testing God. We are not to test him, but we are supposed to trust him. Remember Jesus, when he was taken to the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days? And then one of the questions the enemy asked him, and, his, and Jesus' response was this. You shall not test the Lord your God. So when you read from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there is no single place that God has called us to test him. Except here in Malachi. Where we see the exception when God says, Test me, Solomon. Bring the tithes to my house. Watch and see what I will do. And I grew up knowing like, you know, if God has called me to test him, then I'll do this. I'll be giving. And then I tell God, you know, I gave $3,000. It was so painful. Why have I not received anything right now? I'm following what I've given. I'm reminding the Lord, you know, I gave to that person. But things are not yet working in my life. That's not what God is saying here. God is saying, you bring it. And then says, watch and see. Because God knows the right doors to open for our lives. We may think we know we know the right doors. Like God, have you ever had people say, give sacrificially? The only thing that God wants us to give sacrificially, the Bible says, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks into his name. Hebrews, that is what God calls us to give sacrificially. But giving here in terms of our resources, it should be something that is so much joyful. There's a joy in it. I'm not giving sacrificially, but I'm giving joyful. Something that requires sacrifice is a heart of thanksgiving, our worship to God. But when it comes to resources, it should be joyous, it should be hilarious. And that's what God is reminding us in his word. The Lord says, I will protect you from this one who causes your appliances to break down. Your car to stall. Maybe your car has stolen this week or your appliances are broken down. All your finances have crumbled. Is Solomon suggesting that the devil is behind everything that is happening in my life? My car stalling, appliances breaking down. No, 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 no. But I'm saying that the enemy has all kinds of plans to keep us in debt. To keep us perpetually in the hole. That is why the Lord says, let me defend you, Ed. Ed is my friend. Let me defend you. That's what the Lord is saying this morning. Let me see you through miraculously, Karen. That's what God is saying to us. Test me. 
trust me to rebuke the devourer. We can trust him. The one who eats at you personally, financially, and ultimately emotionally. I mean, if you're in, a, in debt, you'll be emotionally wounded. You will not be getting closer to your debtors. You see them, you, you go the other side. That what happened. Or if your landlord is kind of reminding you, you wouldn't want to pick his phone or a phone or the contact. You keep away from it. So the Lord says, this is what I want to do to you. As you partner with me, this is what I want to do to you. Malachi chapter 3.12 says, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So, Solomon, are you suggesting if I tithe, I will be rich? I will be wealthy. That's what I'm saying here. But I'm saying you will be blessed. When people look at you, they will sense an absence of tension, a freedom, a contentment within you due to God's protection of that which he has given you. And that's, that's a person who is blessed because they, are, they have contentment within them. Whatever they have, it's satisfying them. Their satisfaction is found in the Lord God. Not on things, not on material objects. So why should I give hilariously? Because of God promised that he will do what? He will rebuke. He will reward. He will revive. That's our God. And that propels me to give to his cause in expansion of his kingdom. Second reason why giving produces joy. Because of God's purpose for us to live in heaven eternally. God wants us to live in heaven eternally. So there is something he does when we are still here on earth. Because we so easily get stuck in the world system, God says, I have a way to get your heart into heaven. When you read uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says, for wherever your treasure is, there, can we say it? There, your heart will be also. So you, what you treasure drives your heart. So God says, I have a way to get your heart in heaven. Put your treasure there. Inevitably, people who invest in heaven become increasingly interested in the coming of Christ and the coming of his kingdom. And this should not be surprising. Why? If your treasure is in a retirement fund, it's not bad to have a retirement fund. It's good. But they say, if my treasure is in the retirement fund, my heart will be there as well. If my treasure in some material object like a sports car or good shoes or new gadgets, my heart will follow there and I will invest there as well because it pushes me. What I treasure pushes my heart to it. But if my treasure is regularly invested in heaven, I'll find increasingly kingdom-oriented. That's where we're being called. We're being called to be kingdom-oriented people. So that when we know the resources God put in our hands, it's not just for me. It's for people that he will send on my way and be a blessing to them. And what a wonderful avenue God has given unto us here. That we have different courses that we can invest in to be able to spread the word of Christ. The kingdom of Christ. As illustrated by Jesus in the parable of talent. So I'm giving an assignment. Let us just go and read 
Luke chapter 19, 11 to 27. That's an assignment for us. I'll give us three assignments as the day goes by. And I will require of them next Sunday. I will ask you, what, what did you learn from it? <laughs> it's good for us to go back to the scriptures. But I'll just paraphrase it. It says, when, when Jesus returns, we will give an account as to whether we invested what he gave us wisely or buried it foolishly. Some were given ten talents. One was given five. Another was given one. But the one buried it. The ten worked hard. And he produced more as well. So if we have invested wisely, we will be given significant responsibility. I want to tell us this, that in heaven there is responsibilities. Yeah, we've made it there, but we'll be responsible. We'll have responsibility. That's why the Bible says that some people will be given ten kingdoms to run. You know, some will be given five kingdoms to run. The Bible speaks about that. That's why I want you to go back there and read that particular portion of scripture and find about that. Well, you may ask, why does money impact our role in, in, in eternity? It's because we work 40 to 50 hours a week. If you're working and employed or you have your job, Monday to Friday, you work like eight hours. So you spend most of your time working. And then if you cut the time that you eat, you realize you sleep less, but you work more. So it means this thing is very important. That's why I'm giving myself to so much work. So what we do with our money is a direct reflection upon what we do with our lives. That is why those who say, Lord, you're not getting anything out of me. They are simply saying this. You're not getting me. Because if I can spend a lot of hours working to to earn a living, but God is calling me to this place of making a life by giving. Then there's something that is very interesting here because it, it penetrates my heart. How we need to hear this. Jesus is coming and it will not matter that we got a new car. We got a, a new apartment. We got a new house. At that moment, nothing will matter except that we'll see him face to face. This one who loves us so much will say, Solomon, let me put my name here. You can put your name there. What did you do with what I gave you? And I keep on asking myself, if God put resources in my hand, what do I do with them? Am I there to just impress people or show off or show that I'm a wealthy person or rich person? What do I do with them? That's what you think of me, Solomon, that I gave you this so that you can show off. Is that what you think of me? No. He says, I love you, Solomon. My love for you has not stopped. It's there. But I can't allow you to have the responsibility you've, you will have had. Most of us, we miss those opportunity, those assignments. Look at Peter's life. We've just mentioned here. If Peter would have not given his boat, he would have not gotten the responsibility of becoming fisher of men. He would have missed that vision. He would have missed that clarity. But because he handed it over, there was clear vision. There was clarity. And sometimes that's what we need to get this a clear vision and partnering with the Lord our God. Number three, why giving produces joy? Because of God's premise about us. Luke chapter 6 verse 36 
to 38 says, Therefore be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. Most of us love that scripture. Give, and it shall... Theoretically, we do love it. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So why should give... We should give hilariously because of God's promise about us. And over and over through the scripture, God looks at his people and calls them, you stiff-necked and hard, hard, hard of heart. I mean, that is a very harsh word when you're being called. Like, Solomon, you're stiff-necked. You're hard of heart. Even if your brother or your sister here calls you that, like, come on. Why are you calling me that name? But God calls his people. He says, he doesn't say this hatefully or condemningly. He's not condemning his people. He's not saying it helpfully. But rather knowingly. He knows us. He knows us well. He says, Solomon, I know you are. You are stiff-necked. You are hard of heart, greedy and lazy. I mean, those are tough words. If I hear the Lord calls me such words. But he says, I want you to be different. I want you to be bigger. I want you to be forgiving, to be merciful and compassionate. I want you to relate to people, to care about people, to love people like I do. And that's why I'm inviting you to partner with me, with what I put in your hands. Don't you see that? Because we are full of ourselves. And God wants to deliver us from our own selves, to esteem others better than ourselves. And in doing that, we are showing compassion. We are, we are showing care toward the people that he brings on our way. Wait a minute. You may say, Solomon, is there a correlation between caring about people and giving money? Yes, there is. We might think that we are fairly compassionate, sufficiently forgiving. Like Solomon, I do forgive people. Like a couple of people have wronged me, you know, and I'm compassionate. I'm, I'm quite merciful. Yeah, I'm quite merciful there. But how do we measure these characteristics? According to the scripture we've read, Luke chapter 6, Jesus said we are to measure them by how generous we are financially. It shows it. These are not my words. It's, it's correlated with this scripture. Thus, there is indeed a direct correlation between what we do with material resources and how we relate to people. In other words, we will know how we are doing with people by how we handle our money. Because I'm working for this thing, eight hours. Man, if someone steals from me, I'll have to fight back. I've been toiling and working for this. So I'm protecting it. If we are truly forgiving, merciful and compassionate, it will show in our giving. If we claim to love people but are not giving financially, we are fooling ourselves. For Jesus completely tied the two together. Don't you see what the scriptures say right now? That's what it says. When it says, give and it shall come back to you. It starts from there. So that I can be able to be relatable to people. Tell your neighbor, giving is not God's way of raising cash. Can you turn to your neighbor tell them? So as I'm saying here, God is not... Uh, Asking you to give so that 
He need your cash. He doesn't. If you have that mind, God doesn't. It's not way of him raising cash. Turn to the other neighbor, tell them. Giving is his way of raising you, his child. Giving is his way of raising you, his child. Imagine God is inviting us into that place. He wants to raise us up. If you're here and you have kids, you will want your kid to be like you, the positive side, not the negative side of you. Exactly. You're like, oh, my son, I, really want, I want you to be the po- take the positive side of me. But in God, there is all positivity. And he wants us to imitate him, be like him. He is a giver. He's not forcing us into. He's telling us the reason why we should be joyously giving. Because he's a God who joyously gave himself for us. And he keep on giving to us. So God knowing we are stingy and greedy, he wants us to be freed from these tendencies. And every time the giving session comes along, I have the opportunity to give away part of my smallness and greediness. When I'm saying time of giving, I'm not saying only in church. I say when the Lord puts in your heart to give, go ahead. Because smallness is being dealt with. Greediness in us is being dealt with. So it's not just a one time what I'm saying when we gather. But no, every time when the Holy Spirit wants us and is calling us in that place, let us have that heart to respond to it. If I pass this opportunity, I'm in fact saying, keep me a small person, Lord. It's impossible. And Ruth shared this in one of the teaching he did a couple of weeks ago. He says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining financially immature. They go hand in hand. Someone who is spiritual has also be financially mature. They go hand in hand. And that's where God has called us in such places. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 to 10, it says, God can pour on the blessings in astonishing way so that you are ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds. Giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. Look at Simon Peter's life. He says, okay, you can use my boat. I don't need to fish right now. Let me just lay there. I've tried all night, but I leave it to you. And then what happens? Miraculously, God provides for him. And also God changes his heart. Number four. Why giving produces joy? Because of God's process in us. First Timothy chapter 6, 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So from this scripture, we see that God is a giver. And he wants us to be like him. Why? Because he is hilariously happy. Our God is so happy. He's full of joy. That's what we say in his presence. There is what? Fullness of joy. You see, God is not, I mean, isn't in heaven saying, it's hard being God. No. He is happy being God. He is. 
There is hilarity in heaven day and night. There is praise resounding. There is joy unspeakable. There is a holy happiness and parallel to anything this world has ever seen. Personally, I've realized the moment I give, I'm full of joy. Initially, there is those struggles. You know, God calls me and says, like, but when I realize after releasing it, I'm fulfilled, I'm satisfied. There's just fullness of joy around me. Joy unspeakable. And knowing this, that giving is hard, God demands it. Not because our God is mean, no, but to help us be like him. Don't you see? He's not just demanding it, but he wants us to be like him. He is a giver. And what will this do to me, Solomon? What will this do to you as you're listening? The same thing it did to Abraham before he became Abraham. Following the successful rescue of his nephew, second assignment, Genesis chapter 14. Tell your neighbor, second assignment, Genesis chapter 14. Let them remember that this is the second assignment. That was the first assignment. So next time I meet with the door, don't run away. I'll ask you, ah, Michael, how was it? <laughs> It's good because that will tell us we are growing in the law. We are growing in his word. And we are becoming like he is. So it's to speak about uh, Abraham, who after rescuing his nephew Lot, he met the king, the king of Salem. This guy was called Melchizedek. And so with bread and wine, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And when Abraham says that God was in the person of Melchizedek, what did he do as a man of God? He tithed. He gave his tithe to Melchizedek. And then later on, he was met by the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the people you rescued and keep these goods for yourself. And then Abraham said, I will not take even a thread or shoeless from you, lest you say you made me rich. Well, you may ask Solomon, what does Melchizedek and king of Salem have to do with the giving? I will tell you. The king, of, the king of Sodom comes to us in many ways. It comes constantly to us through television commercials. You know, you see a good dress like, wow, I have to get this next week. You see a good shoe, I have to grab that. Does it mean I, I don't have shoes? I still have shoes. I've got a phone. I need another phone. That's how the king of Sodom comes to us. Like, I need a bag, man. Uh, this man, this is still okay, but you still feel like you need one more bag. That's how king of Sodom comes. He says, get this, grab this, buy this. And especially during this season of like Black Friday and like, I don't need this stuff. But the king of Sodom keeps on telling me, grab it, buy it. It's on sale, but I don't need it. In fact, in the essence, the king of Sodom tells us to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to, em- to impress people we don't like. Let me just repeat that. If you can go with anything out of this place, get this one. It tells us to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And I look at myself and I'm... Um, I fall short of that as well. I want to impress people. With money I don't have. And I buy things I don't 
need. They are not need. They're just wants. But Abraham discovered one thing. The moment he gave to king of Salem, shalom, peace. There was peace. There was contentment within him. And so when king of Sodom come, later on, no, I'm not buying. I'm not grabbing. I'm not getting. I'm contented. I'm okay. I'm satisfied with what I have. So what was the solution? He was able to resist the king of Sodom because he had given to the king of Salem first. Had he not given to the king of Salem, I suggest he would have perhaps succumbed to the temptation to take from the king of Sodom. And that's why I like this. What Drew shared last time. When we have received from God, number one, we give. Second, we save. Number three, we spend. But most of us, we get and then we spend. And then remember, mm, let's save. And then whatever remains, then let's give. No. That's not how God's economy operates. It starts with giving. Because then as I give, God gives me wisdom on how to save. And then I'm able to spend. Last point. Why should I give joyously? Why should it be a joy when I'm giving? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Because of God's presence with us. Amen. God has promised to be with us. And he is with us. That just makes me to be a joyful person in my giving. The last assignment, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Go and tell your neighbor, Deuteronomy chapter 8. So, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Genesis 14, and the other one was Luke. Remember? The parable of the talents. How many assignments are those? Three. So, in our small groups, if you're part of it, just discuss that. But if you're not and you're joining us for the first time, you're welcome. Your assignment begins this Sunday through those scriptures. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God reminds the people that it was he who gave them everything they had. He had to remind them. It's not what you toiled for or what you work for. But everything that you had, I'd given you from beginning. He says, do not forget me. Because most of us, when we have, we forget the Lord. When we don't have, we remember God. Lord, I'm in a hole. I just need you. But he was reminding them. And it is he who does the same for us today. For truly the foundation essence of our father is that he is a giver. So the final reason, even if you forgot, you forget all the other four reasons, is we can give with joy because God gave us Jesus. Amen. He gave us Jesus. He gave us himself. If there is one only reason for me to give, it will be more than enough, is because Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, 23 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let me just repeat it. I mean, he that spared not his son, but delivered him up for who? For us all. Not for one person. How shall he not with Jesus, how shall he not with Jesus, also freely give us all things? God is, he wants to give us, but he also wants us to be partner with him 
in expansion of his kingdom. When the wise men came to Bethlehem, remember? What did they bring with them? Anyone who remember? I know during Christmas we know. They brought what and what? Three things. What and what? You can say it loudly. They brought gold and yeah, gold, frankincense, and ma. So when you go out there, you know, at least Christmas is around the corner. The three things the wise men brought. And they brought this to Jesus, not because Jesus will do a miracle for them or give them insight or pronounce blessing upon them. Jesus was a two-year-old baby. Have you ever come across a baby and they talk and say, the Lord bless you. You'll run away. (laughs) Yeah, he could not pronounce a blessing. But they gave not to receive, but simply because he is the king. Amen. So my giving is not just to receive. I give so that, no, no, no. I'm giving because he's the king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the savior of my life. Is the one who has delivered me from the kingdom of darkness and is translating me into his light, which is full of love. And that just propels me to give to the Lord. 